Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, weirdos. Welcome back to It's Rachel, and I'm here with Jess for a very special episode where we are going to go through some voice memos uh, where listeners shared their thoughts on the show and, of course, some of their own weird facts. Uh, We have this for you because we have a very special episode uh, coming out a week from now. (laughs) Yeah. I believe, yes. Wild. Yes, a week from now uh, that is pegged to the latest issue of Popular Science. Uh, If you aren't a subscriber, go to popsci.com and uh, check out the really cool digital subscription options we have for you so that you can get all of the magic of a Popular Science magazine from the comfort of your home. So next week, we'll be uh, talking about stories in the magazine and the themes of that magazine. It's going to be very spicy. Uh, And that will, in fact, be our last episode of the season. So after that, we will be taking a bit of a break. We'll be back in the fall, and you'll probably hear from us once or twice in the interim. We have some very special surprises in store. But for now, just to uh, get you from one episode to the other and look back on a fantastic fourth season during a very tumultuous year, we wanted to uh, bring in some listener voices. Now, for listeners who don't know, you can send us a voice memo by going into the Anchor app. Anchor is the platform that we use to distribute the weirdest thing. Uh, So through the app, you can send us a voice message about anything you like, preferably nice, friendly, weird, in a good way. Um, (laughs) You can also do that on the Anchor website by going to uh, the main weirdest thing I learned this week show. So as always, uh, I had a lot of voice memos to go through. I am not using all of them, and some of them are uh, a few months old at this point. Uh, But we encourage listeners to send in voice memos whenever the spirit calls them to. Uh, We love hearing from y'all. Okay, I have a uh, frequent caller up for our first message 
Uh, oh. It's a, it's a real fun one. Hi, Tina from Wilmington again. Um, <laughs> I'm just listening to the thing about the sports and games and cheese rolling, and I had to look up a video, and oh my God, that's hysterical. Um, but... And, you know, this is a thing I just assume everybody knows about, but maybe not because I'm from Delaware. And we had a thing up until a couple of years ago, I guess, called Punkin' Chunkin', which is exactly yes. what it sounds like. Maybe um, it started out in lower Delaware with a couple of guys um, who had some pumpkins and wanted to see how far they could chunk them with, you know, catapults and stuff and it became a whole big thing in delaware and then when they moved it um to the dover downs raceway and then a couple of other places and it became an actual thing the um insurance got too high and they had to cancel it and it sucked and everybody hated it but it's a lot of fun bye Oh, my God. I remember Pumpkin Chunkin'. I think there was, like, an HGTV or TLC show about it. Yeah. So I looked it up because I'm familiar with the concept of Pumpkin Chunkin', as listeners sure. know, and as our uh, favorite person in Wilmington knows, Tina. <laughs> I am from the Delaware Valley. Uh, so I was familiar with the concept. I've never actually been, which now seems like a shame. <laughs> totally. you got to call go. my parents and be like, why, why, why was my... Uh, <laughs> cultural experience stunted. Um, but yeah, it's what it sounds like. You um, you know, they are um, chucking pumpkins, but of course we uh, we love rhymes. So it's, you know, you're chunking pumpkins. And mm-hmm. um, which also, something about that name, it like makes um, 100% sense to me as somebody uh, who, um, you know, in my natural state of being has a horrendous... Um, Delaware Valley accent, which is a, a beast all of its own. And so whenever looking it up, the people were like, well, it's called Pumpkin Chunkin' because they wanted to make it rhyme. And I'm like, it's more than that. Like, <laughs> you could, if you told somebody from the Delaware Valley to repeat the words pumpkin chucking over and over, they probably would eventually start saying Pumpkin Chunkin'. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's only natural. Only natural. Um <laughs> Anyway, so it's what it sounds like. It involves catapults, trebuchets, human power. There are all these different um, categories you can be in. Uh, Really large, elaborate setups. Um, And yeah, not unlike cheese rolling, Punkin Chunkin has been plagued by the threat of injury lawsuits, uh, which is why it actually briefly moved to Illinois, I think just for one year. That's what I was, you know, I was like, this feels Midwestern as well. I was like, <laughs> you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So sometime a few years ago, they, they moved it to Illinois. where the... Also, also they, they were health and injury risks, so they brought it to me in <laughs> Illinois. Why, why did they choose Illinois? Apparently the insurance <laughs> situation was better. Oh my um, God. And also, Illinois grows a lot of uh, a lot of pumpkins, so that was also oh. part of the logic. Um, also, they really needed like wide open spaces, which they do have in Delaware, but apparently not um, not with the same laissez faire attitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it seems like the turnout was low, um, and so the event is like trying to find a new East Coast home. Everything I can find seems like the future of Pumpkin Chunkin is up in the air. Pardon the pun. That was totally accidental. Or Oh, Rachel. But it is in peril. <laughs> um, and yes, just to your point, it was on various 
TV channels. Apparently, it was on the Science Channel, which is a great reminder really? that the Science Channel has never really been about science. Sorry. Oh, boy. Uh, it was also on Discovery for a while. There was, like, a Mythbusters-themed oh. show around it with the Mythbusters squad. Because um, people <laughs> just love watching pumpkins get chunked. Um, How can you not? Yeah. The banner at the top of the official Pumpkin Chunkin' website uh, currently says, quote, Pumpkins will always fly, no matter the pandemic, just in a non-traditional manner. (laughs) It's like it's like please scream inside your heart. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Please pumpkin chunk in a non-traditional manner. So, I mean, look, it sounds like this is probably really dangerous, but it also sounds like people have had a lot of fun with it. So, um, I hope it gets to live to see another day. It seems like it's brought a lot of people joy. Yes, fingers crossed. Next up, we have a call from Max. Hi, so um, my name is Max. I'm from Oklahoma. I really, really love your podcast. My sister actually bought me merch um, last Christmas. And if you came here, we would go see you. We would actually drive, um, if we could, uh, to New York. But that's a long ways away, and she has a child. Um, Anyways, I was watching BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural, and they're at this lighthouse, and this story came up of... A dude who dropped a cat off of, like, the top of the lighthouse with a parachute, and it lived. And it reminded me of the bears that they put in the ejector seats. Um, I looked it up. There was a couple articles. Don't know how much truth there is to it, but it's a fun anecdotal story. Um, <laughs> drop it in a casual conversation. Uh, I love your podcast, as I said. Uh, thanks for doing what you do. You guys are um pr- pretty cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> I loved the delivery of that so much. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. And thank you, Max. Thanks for listening. Um, don't drive all the way to New York. It's We're not worth it, but <laughs> hopefully Speak we for yourself. will get to hang out one day. <laughs> um, so I looked this up. And I also have to say that the, the Bears in Ejector Seats episode, which is years old at this it's point. It was one of our earliest episodes. People bring it up all the time. Real mm. classic from uh, OG Weirdest Thing co-host Mary Beth Griggs. Mm. Um, Long may she reign as the queen of bears flying out of planes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I looked this up, and unfortunately the closest thing to a reliable source I could find was uh, the official website of the St. Augustine Lighthouse, uh, which is the Florida beacon where this was supposed to have taken place. But they kind of, the way it was on the website, it felt very much like an apocryphal story. Like, I don't. Sure. They didn't, they didn't cite their sources. Yeah. But, um, so it was allegedly, like, I think around the early 1900s, um, it, it played host to a very dubious experiment conducted by a boy named Cracker Daniels oh. using his sister <laughs> Wilma's cat. So... Well, I don't have more information than that, I do have a few takeaways. Um, you should not test out homemade parachutes on living things. Mm-hmm. That's what eggs are for. <laughs> um, you should not do experiments on your sister's cat. Mm-hmm. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, you should not name your son Cracker. <laughs> Firm oh, stance so I'm taking. <laughs> Apologies to anyone nice who goes by Cracker. I'm sure there's at least one person in the world who does, but um, unfortunately, you're the namesake of a boy famous for throwing a cat off of a lighthouse. So. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> yeah, truly. 
But yeah, it makes me think of like, um, well, we did recently have a story about cats getting airdropped yes, uh, to Sarah help with Kiley. the plague. Yeah. Uh, so this, yeah, Max's message is honestly more than a year old. So um, Max, if you have any follow-up thoughts on that cat story, please let us know. Now we have one from uh, Eleanor. Not that Eleanor, different Eleanor. <laughs> Hi, Weirdest Thing. My name's Eleanor, and I'm calling from London in the UK. Um, I just listened to a show about the rocks in Death Valley and how they seemingly move on their own. And a news article from NPR just popped up in my feed about glacier mice. So glacier mice are uh, strange little balls of moss that move across glaciers in seeming like herd group movements, um, the same speed and same directions, of course. And they were first described in the 1950s by an Icelandic scientist, and he called them Jokomis, uh, which means glacier mice. Uh, I thought it was a cool coincidence, and they seem really fun. Anyway, thanks for your podcast. Bye. Oh my gosh, she had the perfect accent to say so many of those words. <laughs> yes, agreed. Absol- absolutely. Uh, glacier is mm-hmm. sounds so much better than glacier. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in, Eleanor. Uh, so yes, glacier mice are really fun. Uh, and we did write about this on popside.com too when the, the study you're referring to came out. And what I love about them is that they're still pretty mysterious. Um, mm. You know, there's been a lot of buzz about them. And they're these moss balls that just like seem to have a life of their own in a really cool way. And yes, there are lots of potential explanations that have to do with like the way the ice melts or the way the wind blows. Um, but one thing I really liked from uh, Popsize article about the glacier mice is that the researchers pointed out that people tend to think of glaciers as being like dead things, like just a hunk of ice. Um, but the glacier mice are a great reminder that they are very thriving ecosystems. They have tons of invertebrates and like various bugs and probably birds that eat those bugs. So when That's we talk cool about idea. Yeah, yeah. And so when we talk about glaciers melting, which like glaciers around the world get thinner by a foot and a half every year on average, you know, we're talking about all the cool stuff that lived there, much of which we don't understand or barely understand um, has disappeared or has lost its home. So we got to figure out the glacier mice stat and also keep their homes from melting away. Of course, the glacier mice are not living things, but they're surely many microbes that live on them or feed on them yeah. little bugs so they're, they sound so cute they remind yeah. me of like um in my mind i'm picturing like those marimo moss balls yeah totally which are also very cute for similar very reasons cute. but yeah we have to save the glacier mice <laughs> exactly Okay, now we have a two-parter. Hi, I'm Jace, and my fact today is that we still aren't sure what caused one of the most famous shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. And I'm, of course, talking about the Edmund Fitzgerald, which left from Superior, Wisconsin on November 10th, 1975, into a stormy lake. They had been traveling with the Anderson, another ship, for most of the journey. And the Anderson's captain reported that the Fitzgerald had had a few issues, but kept reassuring them that they were going to be fine. 
And the last transmission from the Fitzgerald was that they were, quote, holding her own. And then they disappeared from the Anderson's radar for seven minutes. No distress call or anything, but they were just gone. And we know where the ship is. It's near Whitefish Point, and it's broken in half on the floor of the lake. And half of it is also upside down. And we don't know why. And Anchor's going to cut me off, but I have a little more. So hold on. Hi, Jason again. So I want to talk about some of the theories about why the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. So some of them blamed the crew that they hadn't kept up on routine maintenance, that they hadn't done some latches correctly, and it had caused the ship to lose buoyancy. Um, there is an idea that it may have wrecked the hull a little bit going over a shoal. Um, the captain of the Anderson thinks it has something to do with some super massive waves that hit the Anderson first and had been heading in the direction of the Fitzgerald. Um, and also, unrelated fact, um, Gordon Lightfoot wrote a song about this shipwreck, and he mentions the saying that Lake Superior doesn't give up her dead, which is a thing, because Lake Superior is so cold year-round that it suppresses the bacteria that causes bodies to decompose, so bodies just sink like a rock and don't decompose really on the bottom of the lake. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> creepy and cool. I love I love that. Yeah, and I don't have any facts to add to that because Jace, that was incredibly thorough for a two minute synopsis. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um what I do have to add to that is just that I feel like this is one of my only opportunities to express that I'm really creeped out by the Great Lakes. Um yes. which it, it I don't know, is that a silly thing? But I I've only been to Lake Michigan and I went on a boat on Lake Michigan, and I grew up on the East Coast in a place with lots of little lakes Mm -hmm. and the ocean, and those are two different things. And something about Lake Michigan, like, broke my brain, made me very uncomfortable. It's funny. Like, to me, it seems normal because I've grown up in Illinois. Totally. Um, But our, you know, former pop size staffer, Eleanor Cummins, recently visited me in Chicago, where I live now. And I took her to the lakefront to see Lake Michigan in the city. And her brain was also broken. She was like, you can't see the other (laughs) side. Like, where does it go? Yeah, exactly. It's like, like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's like um, just so expansive. And you, you kind of, I mean, we don't know what's in the ocean. But you kind of understand what's like nearby when you go in the ocean. But I don't know. Is it because like the Great Lakes feel more of like a black box or something like that? Yeah, I guess so. It's because like... It is just, it doesn't fit into a category that my brain is comfortable with. And mm. as we talk about in things a lot, our brains love categories. Yeah. And the idea that a giant ship could be just, like, lost at the bottom of a lake. Right. <laughs> right. It does not confuse. Excuse you. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, the fact about uh, the lake being so cold that bodies tend to just, like, freeze at the bottom. Um, yeah. Yeah, didn't love that. Really, really <laughs> creeps me out. <laughs> I want a new version of the Titanic, but with this ship. (laughs) Yes, that sounds good. I'd watch it. Yeah, it'd be great. A Midwestern version. Yeah, I was I was gonna say everyone will have a Midwestern accent. It's perfect, and we'll. Yeah, I can't think of any other Midwestern jokes at this time, but it'll it'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up we have a fun one about birding. Hey, weirdos. So I've been hunkering down in Vermont for the last three months and have since learned a plethora of cool bird facts. 
but this one is by far the cutest. Okay, so I found an article on birdwatchingdaily.com about a study that was aiming to learn more about how noise pollution affects the nesting patterns of songbirds. During this study, researchers discovered a male bluebird feeding and caring for four baby tree swallows. Apparently, the bluebird had previously nested in that box, so the researchers theorized that when tree swallows took it over, he got confused and just continued coming to that box to care for the young. The female's tree swallow was still coming back to care for her own babies, and she and the male bluebird would often be quote-unquote home at the same time, but the male bluebird seemed to pay no mind and continued to care for the baby tree swallows like they were his own. Thanks for listening. I hope the story of an interspecies parenting warmed your heart a little bit in these less than heartwarming times. Love the podcast. <laughs> Aww. That was nice. That was very heartwarming. Also, yeah. this, like several of the messages I played, are from last summer. So <laughs> if people are talking about being at home for months at a time, it's because they were and they should have been. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, the listener who sent this, who did not share their name, um, hopefully they are, uh, you know, out and about again, having a good time, yeah. looking at birds in places other than just their backyard. The thing it made me think of is that, you know, well, so I did talk on a previous episode about, um, like, interspecies adoption among various birds. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it is, like, not totally uncommon. Um, but there are, of course, species that do this on purpose. Like, the brown-headed cowbird is a very famous brood parasite. Right. Um they place their eggs one by one in host nests. And actually, I didn't realize it was <laughs> this extreme. They have at least 221 different hosts that they will place their eggs with. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And they just leave the confused foster parent to pick up the slack. Uh, apparently, in general, birds are not the best <laughs> at mm-hmm. like identifying which bird babies are theirs and which are just extras. Oh, um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, which is interesting because, like, you know, with some species you have, like, it's really um, it's really easy for the parent to decide the baby isn't their own, you know, if it, mm. like, smells wrong, etc. Um, so it's kind of like the opposite evolutionary tactic to be, like, better safe than sorry. Mm, <laughs> better yeah. feed them all. Um, and, yeah, this bluebird so cute the researchers were like surely he's going to notice like the mom is here all the time but he just kept doing the work he kept cleaning up after them feeding them um yeah very very better safe than sorry attitude being like i don't remember these chicks being mine but just in case (laughs) yeah i respect it yeah all right here's a, a short one from brianna Hi guys, I have a weird question for you. It's hotly debated in my household. Do you fold or scrunch your toilet paper before you wipe? Oh, (laughs) we've talked about this. (laughs) Well, we talked about like the, um, the, uh, is wiping good debate. Yeah, (laughs) right. Like an overwipe. Um, but I thought it was so funny because, uh, Several years ago, I went to, like, the Charmin Research Labs, and we have an episode that's me kind of recounting some of the highlights of that, but there's also a video on PopSci.com. If you search, like, PopSci Charmin fake poop, you'll you'll find the video. Yeah, it's a Um, good video. (laughs) Many demonstrations. (laughs) I I had fun. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I got to do all of their, like, their funny 
product testing demonstrations. And one of those demos, which I think is in the video, is they did um, their like user behavior survey, which is usually in private, but I had to do both in front of right. our colleague Jason, but also in front of a bunch of Charmin people I'd met several hours before. Um, and it it has questions about like, what's your angle of approach? Yeah, like, I remember that. <laughs> they oh, have boy. you like take some toilet paper and they're like, just pantomime what you would do on the toilet so that we can know what your habits are. And I was so flustered. And I really was like, I don't know. But it, once I was out of there and I thought about it, I am definitely a, a scruncher. I don't fold mm-hmm. toilet paper. I, you know, I go for a a wad. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm trying God, to think. Awful. <laughs> I think I am like a folder kind of. When I grab the toilet paper, I kind of wrap it around my fingers and then it's like kind of folded. It's like flat. Oh, that is kind of what I do. But then it's I like think I kind of between take a that fold and a scrunch. And I take that and I sort of scrunch it. Okay. Maybe, maybe I... I keep mine more flat than that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is a gray area. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, I think I think Charmin presented me with a false dichotomy. <laughs> Absolutely. Kill the binary. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a couple from Therese. Hi. Uh, my name is Therese. I've been saving up some fun facts that I wanted to share with you guys, so forgive me if I spam your inbox with some messages. Um, here's my first one. I listened to your sneezing episode some time ago. Um, I think it's the one where people sneeze when they're full. Um, and that one made, immediately made me think of how I burp when specifically I'm full of liquid, so like I drink too much, and then I move really suddenly. I went down a rabbit hole of what causes hiccups, and apparently it's really just anything that causes your diaphragm to spasm, whether it's capsaicin, like one of my close friends who hiccups when he eats something really spicy, or laughing too much, like my sister, or being full, like me. I don't really know if this is a fun fact, but just thought I'd share because I know you guys are just as interested in the weirdness of the human body as I am, if not more. Yeah, so um, it is true that irritating your diaphragm makes you hiccup. Also, me and my sister both hiccup whenever we eat carrots. What? (laughs) Yeah, I've Googled it a few times. Every few years I Google it being like, has someone finally cracked this? And there are, like, other people talking about it, so I don't think it's an uncommon trigger for hiccups. But the explanations are all like, you're just eating them too fast, so they're irritating your diaphragm or like because they're crunchy and you're like because they're crunchy you're swallowing more air with them but I don't quite get that so yeah I feel like I would love true for so many foods right yeah and it's carrots specifically they make me hiccup so bad so um I would love for someone to solve this for me one day that's my there's there's a woman on tiktok that I follow who well it's slightly different but she has an allergy to carrots and so she is like eating a small bit of carrot every day to like reduce her allergy, which yes, I have seen her. Yes, she's floating around, but that made <laughs> me think of her. And it seems like you know, obviously, don't try this at home and talk to your doctor, but it seems like she has been able to like diminish her allergic reaction a little bit. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that it's like. I think it's great to try if you have a really mild, like non. Totally. Fatal allergy. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you have a more serious allergy, you should absolutely talk to your doctor before <laughs> ingesting any small amounts of things. But that is basically how, like, allergy therapy works. It's just 
Oh, very right. Small doses, look at those bigger. shots. Yeah. So if it's something where you know it, you don't have anywhere close to a fatal reaction, and it does have to really be like your reaction is really minor because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, allergies can get suddenly more severe. So it's like you don't want to mess around with like, yeah, you don't want to mess around. Talk to your yeah, doctor. Yeah, that's <laughs> dangerous territory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I applaud, uh, you know, her tenacity to eat carrots Indeed. of all things. Yeah. Here's another one from Therese. Hi. So I went down another rabbit hole recently, and this time the rabbit hole was unique greetings. Um, So I know handshakes have been kind of taboo recently ever since the rise of COVID, but did you know that there are other greetings such as sticking out your tongue in Tibet or pressing your face against a loved one's cheek or neck and taking a deep breath in Greenland or pressing your forehead and nose against someone else's forehead and nose in New Zealand? Um, additionally, my family is from the Philippines, um, and there, if you're greeting someone that's a generation above you or older, you press the knuckles of one of their hands to your forehead. Okay, I promise this is my last voice message of the day. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I love you guys, and I love this podcast. Oh, I love her. Yeah, I, thank I, you so much, Therese. Yeah, all those greetings are so, like, intimate and nice compared to the handshake. Yeah, totally. Um and I did I did a little bit of research because I was like, greetings around the world is such an interesting topic. What do mm-hmm. I have to say about it? Um, and one thing is that it's commonly said that handshakes originated in ancient Greece or ancient Rome when people would like clasp arms to show that they weren't hiding weapons up their sleeves or oh. behind their backs. Um, that gets shared a lot. I haven't read a primary source for it. But then again, I haven't done a deep dive on like ancient Greek writing specifically about shaking hands. Sure. Um, But historians generally think that it became popular as like a catch-all greeting, the way we use it today, um, when 18th century American Quakers wanted um, something more egalitarian than like bowing and curtsying and that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, Which is like more recent than I would have thought. Me too. It also makes sense because like how many... When you think about just, like, how people interacted with each other, like, touching strangers was not much of a thing in, like, early modern history. Ancient Mm -hmm. history, I don't know. Maybe they touch strangers all the time. (laughs) I also read in a National Geographic article, which, if you want to look it up, is called Why Do We Touch Strangers So Much? Um, it, It talked about a 2015 study in Israel that suggested that it's really common for humans to sniff their hands after they shake hands. Um, Presumably very subtly and unconsciously, of course. Um, I think it's probably just like, you know, you're more likely to bring your hand up to your face. Um, But that makes it seem like we might be getting some sort of like chemical signal exchange the same way that like dogs sniff each other's butts, which I just find yeah. really hilarious. Oh my god, that's really funny. Now I'm going to be hyper aware of that too. Um, not that I'm sure I'll ever shake somebody's hand again, to be honest, but... Yes, me as well. <laughs> if I do, I'll be thinking about that. Yeah, honestly, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad the handshake is gone. Yeah, well, it's very risky from a disease transmission standpoint and very boring from a socialization standpoint. So it's like... Hugs or nothing, you know? Yeah. If we're if we're not on the level to hug, let's just, mm-hmm. like, nod at each other. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, next we have one from Mandy. 
Hi, weirdest thing. I'm listening to your episode um, where you're talking about seasickness, and I had a couple of follow-up questions because um, I'm an aerialist, and so we spin really fast a lot of the time. Um, and it made me really curious because when we do things, for example, like Spanish web, where you're spinning really, really fast um, against a counterspin, the advice that we often give is to not focus on anything specific. And it made me curious when you were talking about the difference between like focusing on something and that vestibular feedback from your body. Like, it sounds like maybe that's good advice, but is that good advice? Like, is there better advice out there for that situation, which like, maybe just aerialists and sailors find their way into and like extreme video game fanatics apparently too. And also my second question is the, the idea that you just get used to it. Like what is the physical process of that? Does anyone know? Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, also aerialists are so cool. I'm very jealous Big of time. your skills, Mandy. Um, so I'll admit this is not a super like scientifically researched answer. Uh, but I did some research, and we do know that dizziness has to do with the disconnect between what your eyes are seeing and what your brain thinks they should be seeing. Um, so when you move around, spin around specifically, the fluid in your inner ear sloshes around, and it hits all of these very tiny hairs inside your inner ear. And it's actually the movement of those hairs that tells your brain you're moving. Um, so when you're going really fast and you stop suddenly, the liquid sloshes for long enough to move some hairs that shouldn't be moving. Um, and that tells your brain you're spinning, even though you're still. Oh. So from what I can tell, uh, both spotting where you like pick one spot and you look at it, even if that means you have to like whip your head around periodically, um, that can help by minimizing the amount of fluid that's moving in the first place. So like mm -hmm. your head is staying still except for that brief moment when you have to pivot it to keep looking at the thing, um, which means less overall movement and more time for your head to adjust than if your head's just whipping around in circles. Um, the other strategy, as Mandy pointed out, is to let your eyes go totally out of focus and not look at anything at all. Um, wow. I couldn't yeah, I couldn't find any research on this, but the folks who recommend it um, tend to suggest that it might minimize your brain's confusion by just, like, not giving it jumpy visual signals and just right. kind of, like, getting your brain to, to tune out the visual signals entirely. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I would love if anybody is aware of kind of more in-depth research on that, definitely send it our way. And finally, I'll just say it totally makes sense that you could get used to being dizzy because brains can get used to just about any kind of sensory input. Mm. You get used to the smells of your own body. You get used to like persistent tones and the background noise of your life. You get used to like constant body aches and um, so much more. <laughs> so if you gradually build up the speed and length of your spins, which like most good aerialists will be doing as they learn to be good aerialists, um, your brain will learn to put less stock in what the hairs in your ears are saying. So you're basically just like wow. telling your brain to trust that less. <laughs> yeah, that's I love that, actually. I love how our brains are just so adaptable. They are. They're so adaptable. Um, okay, we have just a few more. Um, here we have one from Laurel. Hi again. This is Laurel in Seattle. The weirdest thing I learned this week is that Illinois has a native scorpion. I'll say that again. What? Illinois has scorpions. 
The striped bark scorpion is common in places like the deserts of the Southwest, but I was surprised to learn that it's a native species in Illinois and Missouri too. Shout out to my friend Mason at Ozark Koala for this truly wild fact. And I wanted to ask, are there other unexpected wild creatures lurking in our backyards? Thanks for all you do, Popsi crew. Wow. Simply loving all of the Illinois facts. Yeah. Was this a surprise (laughs) to you? I heard an exclamation. I did not know this, but it also seems like if it's also in Missouri, it might be like a southern Illinois scorpion. Mm, That makes sense. Which is a very different uh, ball game than up north. But I'm fascinated. (laughs) I would love to know more. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I want to say Laurel, every time Laurel sends a message, it sounds like a professional podcaster is calling yes. in. So, <laughs> I love their voice. Excellent work. Um, but yeah, so this is true, but like, don't panic. They're rarely more than three <laughs> inches long. Um, they're hardly ever fatal. Uh, they mostly spend like their days hiding under bark, and they're not as common in Illinois as they are in more desert areas. So like, very unlikely to encounter one. It's very unlikely to be particularly bad if you do. I mean, it might be unpleasant, but um, yeah. And to Laurel's point, there are many things lurking in your backyard that you do not realize are there. So right, proceed with caution. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be down to like be caught by surprise by a scorpion. That sounds like exhilarating experience. Yeah, it's true. When handled with caution, I would say. <laughs> of course. Yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> um, it reminded me of... Uh, I will have to check this, but I think it's true <laughs> that um, there was an episode of, I want to say, uh, Peppa Pig or some similar show <laughs> Okay, that, w- that was all about um, how you shouldn't be afraid of spiders and, like, spiders are more afraid of you than you are of them. Like, you know, right. don't be scared. Um, and they actually, they didn't air it in Australia because there are so many <gasps> spiders that can kill you. You so should be like, afraid of those spiders. Yeah, they were like, this is dangerous information for children in Australia. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, it's all relative. But the scorpions in Illinois are uh, unlikely to cause you any problems. Um, okay, now we have a message from Alan. Dear Claire and Eleanor and Rachel, I absolutely love your show. I've been listening since about January, and you keep me company on my drive to and from work every day. I sometimes share some of your stuff with my coworkers, but... Not everybody is interested in hearing about tobacco smoke enemas, uh, Tesla's weird relationship <laughs> with a pigeon, or some of the strange things that animals do. However, I really do love your show, and if I could figure out a way to rate you with my Android phone, I would. I'd give you ten stars instead of the regular five. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I can't wait to hear more, and stay safe out there with COVID. Thanks. Bye. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, uh, you know, sharing weird facts with your coworkers. I love to hear that. I also, yeah. listening to this again, I was like, did we have this on a previous voice memo episode? I don't think so. But if we I did, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I like it very much. All right. Uh, just a couple more. We have a quick message from Nathaniel. Hi, this is Nathaniel. I just was listening to your most recent episode about art crimes. And I realized as I was listening to the story that I had just recently watched a Netflix special on this exact topic called This is a Robbery. So you guys should really check that out. It's super cool. 
Nathaniel, thank you. Um, in fact, uh, that episode featuring special guest Josh Gondelman was recorded um, like a week before that documentary came out. And I got an email from Josh being like, oh, no. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but we reassured him that people would still be excited to learn about it on Weirdest Thing. And um, I have actually yet to check out the documentary. No, that's not true. Well, my husband watched it. So I saw like five minutes of it as I was on my way to something else. But... You know what? My dad watched it and I also saw five minutes of it as I was there doing we something go. else. <laughs> <laughs> we are both five minutes smarter about art crime. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us a heads up, Nathaniel. And uh, now we have one more message. Hi, my name is Maria Viades and I am from Louisville, Kentucky. I wanted to tell you guys about something my dad told me I'm not sure if it's true or not but uh, he said that in Lima Kentucky they wanted to build a statue like the Statue of Liberty they wanted to have a woman with a crown of flames so when they wrote that on the plans for the sculptor they put a crown of llama which is the Spanish word for flame unfortunately it is also the word for the animal a llama so when the sculptor made it they received it back and it was a woman with a llama on her head and it still exists it is an amazing sculpture but i just thought that was a very interesting way to go about it anyway i love the podcast thank you so much bye (laughs) thank you so much for sending this in and i was briefly uh very confused uh because maria misspoke and said lima kentucky and i was like this story makes very little sense if it takes place in Kentucky. It turns out it is, it takes place in Peru, where okay. where it makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know there was a Lima, Kentucky. But we, we misspeak all the time, and it is only thanks to Jess's expert editing <laughs> that y'all don't hear it. So no shame at all. Um, so yeah, at least according to several sources, including Lonely Planet, um, this is true. Uh, And it allegedly happened because um, in addition to that homophone confusion, South America is, of course, full of llamas, especially Peru. Um, So they were like, yeah, that makes sense. that They would want a llama on her head. (laughs) Um, It's a beautiful statue and it looks very regal in spite of, you know, not being exactly what they ordered, allegedly. Um, And I really appreciate it because as longtime listeners might know, my um, college mascot is the llama. So, um, go llamas. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that is it for this week. And as I said before, we'll be back next week with a very special episode about all things hot for our latest issue of Popular Science. Of course, feel free to send in your own voice memos on the Anchor app or via Anchor's website whenever you want to say hello or send us a fact of your own. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other weirdos find the show. For more information on the stories you heard in this episode, come find us at popsci.com slash weird. You can buy our merch, including Weirdest Thing t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsci.threadless.com. The show is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Feltman, with editing and audio engineering by Jess Bodie. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.